morning, everyone. It's good to see you. And we're carrying on with our second part in this latest series that we're looking at together, My Big Fat Mouth. And if you were here last week, you, you will realize we talked about some quite challenging things together. Last week, we looked at what it meant to be a complainer. You see, out of our mouths come the ability to either build people up or to tear people down. Out of our mouths come the ability to propel people into their God-given mission and their God-given role or to totally and utterly stop people in their tracks. The words that come out of your mouth have the ability to bring life or to bring death. James 3, 4-6 says this, When we put bits in the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder, wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a single small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body and sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and itself set by the fire of hell. Is that really so? Are the tongues in our mouths really that powerful? Ask the person who, as a child, was told that you are useless. You'll never amount to anything. You have nothing good about you. Ask the person who have been told as a child or as a teenager, you are ugly and no one will ever, ever love you. Ask the person who's been made to feel totally and utterly worthless because someone has spoken a word over them at some point and it has robbed them of joy. Like I said, last week we spoke together about complaining. We looked at the fact that the Israelites really missed out on the blessings of God that he had for them because they constantly moaned, they constantly complained, they constantly whined about their current situations and circumstances. And we concluded together two things. If you can change your current circumstance, then do something about it. If you cannot change your current circumstances, then change your perspective. We talked about Paul who was in prison in Rome. He went there hoping to go there as a free man to preach the gospel, but he ended up there in chains and in prison. But his reaction was, this is brilliant. I'm in Rome. I'll get someone chained to me for the whole time I'm here. They've got to listen to me speak to them about Jesus and they can't do anything about it. And the brothers and sisters are getting strengthened to share the gospel because I'm in chains. He had a very, very bad situation, but he allowed his perspective to be something totally and utterly different. And this week, together, I want us to focus on the subject of criticism. Now, when I'm talking about criticism, I'm not talking about constructive feedback that we give to someone because we love them and we want to build them up and we want to help them in their role and in their journey. I'm talking about the cruel, the unkind, the nitpicking, the uninformed, the unloving kind of criticism. And criticism is a funny thing, isn't it? I mean, we all hate to be criticised. It's horrible. But we often don't realize when we're criticizing other people because when we criticize other people a lot of the time, we feel justified in doing it. They weren't so stupid. 
if they weren't so weird, if they didn't spend their money in such a bad way, if they raised their kids a little bit better, if they did this, if they did that, then I wouldn't have anything to say. If they were more considering of us older folk, if they were more understanding of us younger folk, things would be a lot better because I can see things in the right way, in the right capacity. We do it because we know what is best for people's lives. God has a wonderful plan for your life, and so do I. And if you don't live up to that plan, I'm going to criticize you. I'm going to talk about the way you dress. I'm going to talk about what you eat, the way you drive, the way you raise your kids. I don't know. And you know, as a pastor over the years, what I have found out is that we tend to get criticized a lot. I remember I was literally about eight weeks into the pastor at Honiton, my first role as a pastor, and I was preaching on a particular Sunday morning on Malachi chapter one. Now, I've preached on this passage twice in my ministry journey, and both times afterwards, people have left the church over it. So watch out, Hope, for when Malachi chapter one comes up here in this church. But I was preaching on Malachi chapter one, and this is part of Malachi chapter one where God says, I want you to stop lighting useless and worthless sacrifices on my altar. And what I was talking about was the priests who were doing all the things on the outside, looking like they had it all together, but on the inside, their hearts were far from God. And I was contrasting this with today and how we go through the motions today. And I said something along the lines of, you know, we dress up smart to come to church. We put on our Sunday vest and we act like we've got it all together. We like to keep up with the Joneses. But really, that is often a mask for where we truly are at with God. Anyway, about a week later, the church secretary came and handed me a letter. It was a 12-page letter criticizing me for the ministry that I was conducting at Honiton Family Church. It was scathing. And the premise of this man's issues was basically, on this particular Sunday, he decided to dress up smart to come to church. And he got it into his head that I had written a sermon specifically about him and about how he was dressed. And this letter, it was horrible. And it finished with a line which said, we will not sit here and be manipulated by a 28-year-old who knows nothing about life. Everything within me wanted to scream, Mate, I don't even notice what my wife wears half the time. I'm not looking at what you're wearing. But seriously, (coughs) do you know what I've been through in my life? Have you walked in my shoes? Do you know the pain that I've gone through? Do you know the life experiences that I have had? And yet you make a snap judgment about me because of one sermon that I preached. I remember another time, a few months later, a lady started attending the church. And she came to the church because she heard there was a new young pastor in town and she wanted to be a help. Anyway, this particular woman came with a little bit of a warning. You see, 10 years before, she had been part of the church that I was pastoring at the time. And she caused a bit of an issue. So some of the people who remembered this particular woman from all of those years ago, they started to get a little bit angsty. So I decided to phone the regional minister, this was before Carl's time, and say, hey, do you know anything about what happened 10 years ago in the church and why it all kicked off and why this woman caused so much of an issue? Um, To cut a long story short, he didn't know. And his advice to me was give her a clean slate, give her a fresh start, and see how it goes. So that's what we did. And in fairness, for a year, everything was fine. She was nice and she was kind. 
That is until we did something in the church that she didn't like and she didn't agree with. And we used to have these services once a month where we would get together with all the other churches from the location and it would kind of go around the churches and we'd have a united service in the evening. And this particular Sunday, it was our turn to host this united service. And I turned up at the church early just to think and pray about the sermon that I prepared and I prepared a message. And when I got down to the church that day, I felt God say to me, you know that message that you've prepared? It's not for tonight. I've got something else that I want you to preach on. And God laid a verse on my heart that night, which was from the book of Ephesians, chapter 5, 14. And this is what it says. Wake up, sleeper. Rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. It was totally of God. I'd never preached on this particular passage before. So I had nothing prepared to, to speak on that night. But I did and God used it quite powerfully. And I was really encouraged as I stepped down from the stage that night. And I went, and there were quite a few people there. And I started talking to them and saying hello. And I see this particular woman that day. And I went up to her and was nice and said hello. She pointed at me. And she went, that sermon was for you. You need to wake up. Because you're going to destroy this church if you carry on going the way you're going. I was totally taken back. What? And this led to about six months of instances very, very similar to this, to a point where I had to say enough's enough. And we took the lady out of membership because of her behavior and her criticism. She did this in front of loads of people. It was embarrassing. And you know, it turns out this wouldn't be the last time that I'd face cruel criticism in my ministry. It turns out that actually being a pastor is par for the course of leading a church and then we wonder why. Is it any wonder that the stats suggest only one in ten pastors make it to retirement still in pastoral ministry? Now, there's no hidden agenda to this message today. I'm not stood up here saying this because I want you to be nicer to me and say nice things to me. I promise you that. But often we talk, don't we, about the needs and we pray that, God, please protect our church. Please protect our church from influences from outside. Please protect our church from the schemes of the devil. You know the biggest threat that churches face? It's us. When Satan can get us backbiting, when Satan can get us grumbling and complaining and criticizing about everything and about all the small details, when he can get us focusing on the speck of dirt in our brother's eye, when we don't focus on the plank we have in our own eye, churches split. Churches die, people get hurt. And that brings us onto the passage that we have have read to us today. Paul says, the whole law can be summed up very simply. Love your neighbor as yourself. And then he says, but be careful. If you backbite, if you devour one another, if your words are constantly critical, you are going to destroy one another. Critical words destroy people. Critical words destroy churches. One word of criticism can take a person down. But in exactly the same way, one word of encouragement can build a person up and spur them on. Proverbs 12, 18 says, The words of a reckless pierce like swords, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. So let me challenge you today, and I challenge myself this morning what kind of person do you want to be? There are two options I want to give you this morning. You can choose to be a fault finder or a hope giver. The first is a fault finder, and in some ways, this is the default position of all of us. 
I fall into this category more often than I would like to fall into this category. You see, because of our sinful nature, we tend to look at what is wrong before we look at what is right. We tend to see the negative rather than see the positive. And the simple fact is, it's really easy to be a fault finder. You can take a relatively good person and you can pick them apart and pick them off really simply if you want to. You don't have to look that far. And the problem is that being a fault finder makes us a lot like the Pharisees that we read in the the New Testament. But more controversially than that, actually, being a fault finder makes us a lot like the devil. You see, the devil has many names in scripture. He's called the prince of darkness. He's called the deceiver. He's called the devourer. He's also known as the accuser too. What does that mean? He finds faults. That's what the Pharisees do. That's what the devil does too. And in reality, if we're being totally honest with ourselves and we're looking inwards for a minute, that's what a lot of us do a lot of the time too. So is it any wonder that one of the tactics of the enemy to stop churches in their tracks, to break up churches and stop them being effective like God calls them to be, is to get those within the church criticizing one another. So why do we do it? What is behind it? A lot of the time, it's pride. I think I know best. And if you challenge what I think I know, I'm going to criticize you. Sometimes, We criticize others because we're insecure about ourselves. And what we end up doing is we point out the weaknesses that we see in others, which are actually weaknesses of ourselves too, because we think by deflecting it, people aren't going to notice the weaknesses that we have. We may not verbalize it like that, but actually that's what we do a lot of the time. And sometimes we criticize because we simply don't understand. It's easy to criticize from a distance. When we haven't got all the information when we haven't wrestled with a situation or a circumstance, when we haven't listened to the other and sought to understand someone else's point of view. And you know what? I don't know if this is the same for you, but I have never met a critical person that I really want to be around. They suck the life out of you. They just drain you. So that's type one. The second type of person that I want to say that we could be today is a hope giver. Romans 15, 13 says this, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may find hope and abound in it. We spoke, as I said last week, about Paul who ended up in chains, but changed his perspective when he was in prison, and he writes the book of Philippians, which is a book which is so full of joy and hope. Paul also wrote this book, Romans 2. And if you want to see an example of a man who knew how to build people up and bring hope to people, it was this man here. He didn't tear people down, but he made it his priority to build them up. He didn't speak in unwholesome ways about people, but he sought to use words that brought life. And if you were to flick to other parts of this particular book this morning, Romans chapter 8, for instance, what you would read are words like, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The Spirit of God brings life, and the Holy Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. He said, I am more than a conqueror in Christ Jesus. He said, I am convinced that even angels, nor demons, nor death, nor life, nor the powers of the past, or the present, or the future, nothing can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. This man knew how to bring hope. And when we choose to be a hope giver, 
we choose to walk in the ways of Jesus. The Pharisees were fault finders. The devil is a fault finder. Jesus is full of hope. Jesus is known as the bread of life. He's known as the living water. He is known as the good shepherd. When someone would sin, the Pharisees would point it out and accuse. When Jesus shows up, he would call out sin. Make no mistake about that. But he would offer a way for people to walk away from their sin to a life of hope so they could be free. A classic example, I guess, of this is the story of the woman caught in adultery. I'm sure you know the story. But the Pharisees, they're trying to trap Jesus. They're trying to trip him up and stop him. So they bring a woman to him who has been caught in the act of adultery. And they say to Jesus, see what this woman has done? She should be stoned. What is your opinion, Jesus? By the letter of the law, they were right. She should have been stoned to death. The Pharisees were right, but they wanted to accuse and they wanted to test Jesus to see what his reaction would be. And at first, Jesus says nothing. And then, he gets on his knees. And he starts to write in the sand. We don't know what he wrote. Day one by one, all of the accusers started to walk away. And then what did Jesus do? Gets by the side of the woman. He says to her, where are your accusers? Where are the fault finders gone? She looks up and she says, they're all gone. Jesus says, neither do I condemn you. But don't do this anymore. There's a better way that you can live. He says, don't sin anymore, but you can find forgiveness and you can find life and you can find real love. Let me ask you today, church, what type of person do you want to be? Do you want to be a fault finder? That's who the Pharisees were. That's who the devil is. Who is Jesus? The way, the truth, and the life. He is the living hope. He is our hope. And who are we, church? We're meant to be hope givers. We're meant to be people who point to Jesus as the saviour, to point people to the living hope. We're not called to be fault finders. We're called to be followers of Christ, speaking words of healing, speaking words of life. So let me challenge you today. And I preach to myself as much, if not more than anyone else in this room today. If one word of criticism can take a person down, you're useless, you're selfish, you'll never amount to anything. Why do you always do that? You're so inconsiderate. How can you use your words this week to bring hope? It's so easy to find fault. You know, your child, they may be the most messy child that has ever walked this earth, but maybe they're also the most compassionate too. Your husband or your wife may not be the most organized. They may be forgetful. They may not have done the job that you've been banging on at them to do for the last six months. But this week, I want to encourage you to remind them of the qualities that you fell in love with. You see, when we do, when we bring hope, our relationships change. Our circumstances change. Marriages change. Let's rise up, church. Let's be a church who deals in hope. Let's rise up, church. Let's be a church which builds one another up and doesn't tear one another down. Let's commit again to being a church which points people to Jesus. 
with our words as well as our actions. You know, it was great to be here last week and to see God move in the way that he did when we had the baptism. It's not a one-off event. God wants to move every time we meet. We don't meet out of ritual. We don't meet because this is what we always do on a Sunday. We meet because we gather to meet with a God who changes lives. And you know, I believe in this place today, God wants to do a work in the hearts of some here. For some, in this place today, you have had negative words spoken over you which have crippled you which has stopped you dead in your tracks, which have given you an inferiority complex maybe, have made you shy and timid, and when the chance comes to serve God, you step back because you think, I can't do it. That's not me. You're living with words maybe like, you are no good. You're worthless. You should be ashamed of yourself. And they seem to go round and round in your head like a broken record player. You know, let me tell you this morning, church, the devil is a liar. The devil is the accuser. And that's not God's. To you, today, Jesus wants to say to you, just like he said to the woman caught in adultery, where are those that condemn you? Where are those that speak those words over you? Today, Jesus, I believe, wants to breathe a new life into you again. He wants to hear his words spoken over your life, that you are loved, that you are his child, that you are free, and that you are forgiven. And there are some people in this place today, I believe, that if you are being really honest with yourself, you know that you struggle with having a little bit of a critical spirit. You see the bad within everything before you see the good. You resist change when change may be needed. You're quick to judge others. Today, I believe God wants to move you from being a fault finder to a hope giver. It will take humility to respond. But if you do, I believe it will set you on a path of a joy-filled life. So I'm going to invite the band back up. And this is what we're going to do in way of response today. We're going to sing together. But actually there will be the opportunity to receive prayer. I'm going to invite John Peel. Uh, Carl, can you come up? Uh, Mary, can you come up to the front for me as well, please? And I'm going to invite the rest of the prayer team who are here to go to the back, if that's okay. So if you're on the prayer team, if you're happy to go to the back. And as we sing this song and as we stand... If you are here this morning, and you can identify with that notion of having those words spoken over you or something happen which you just can't seem to shake, and you need to hear the voice of God this morning, I want you to come forward. And these guys at the front here, they're going to pray for you, and they're going to pray prophetically over you, and ask God to give them a word of knowledge, a picture, which is going to build you up, which is going to set you on a different course and see you set free. If you're here this morning and you struggle with negative thoughts, you struggle with negativity, and you say, I don't want to be like that anymore. I want to see the good before I see the bad. I want to know hope before I know fault. 
I'm going to invite you to go to the back in humility to go to the back and receive prayer. You don't have to say anything, but they'll just lay a hand on your shoulder and they'll pray for you that you'll lift your eyes, you'll see God's perspective. So if you want to hear the words of God spoken over you this morning, as we stand, come to the front and receive prayer. Let's respond together in song. Why don't we stand? I'm going to pray. I want to thank you, Lord God, that you're here by your spirit right now. Forgive us all, Lord God, for the times when we're fault finders and not hope givers. Forgive us all, Lord God, for the times when we see the negative before we see what you're doing. Whether that's a pride issue, whether that is simply we don't understand, whether it's because we see the weaknesses in others that are actually part of ourselves. Help us as a church be a hope giver. Protect your church here, Lord God. We pray against criticism. We pray against backbiting. We pray against division. And we pray for unity as your body. Your word tells us that when we are united, you command a blessing. So we pray for that blessing over hope. And I pray for each and every person here this morning, wherever we're at. Particularly, Lord God, I pray for those people in this place who have had words of negativity spoken over them, which have stopped them and robbed them of the joy that you have for them. This morning, may you do a work in their hearts. May they hear the voice of God speaking over them. Well done. You are my child. And I am well pleased. Holy Spirit, have your way now, we pray as we sing.